guys. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm William Howard Harrison. And I'm Jimmy Carter. And we're uh, presidents, probably. Yeah, I, I think that's that's what we are this week, right? We're presidents? We're presidents, yeah. Right. Yeah. Of, I mean, not at the same time, obviously. Oh, well, I... Oh, okay. I don't think I should be oh, here did you think, then. Yeah. Did you think that we were... Mm-hmm. No, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Oh, well, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds so upset. No, we're just kidding around, guys. I'm Raven. And I'm Alana. And this is Lumi and Fawn's Fun Facts for Freaks. And on this week's episode, we have ourselves a new theme. Alana, do you want to tell them what our new theme is? Our new theme. Drum roll. Can I get a drum roll in the in in real life, please? It's historical figures. And I know listen, listen, listeners, don't you dare click off. I will I will fight you with the high five and a smile. I promise. I promise I will. You can't fight them with the same things that we give them with for emailing us. I will, I will, I will fight you with a sad face and a fist. I swear, and because I don't want to be fighting. Just to be dramatic. <laughs> um, okay, listen. I say that because it's not going to be boring. I promise. Like I know history. Some people are like, "Ew, I'm too cool for that." You're not. Learn your history. <laughs> and we're here Plus, to teach you some. We're gonna be choosing some really cool people that I think you guys are really gonna like. Yeah, so and, it's, and it's people listen. that you guys don't really know, so or it's kind of like a win-win. So yeah, listen or else. Anyways, um, I think I think I kind of want to start us off, Raven. Is that cool with you? No, it's not cool with me. I wanted to do it. Oh, oh, um, Raven. I'm totally gonna... kidding. Yeah, no, <laughs> I was gonna say like you're going off script. <laughs> <laughs> you're going off script. <laughs> read your lines. Read your lines. <laughs> No. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why I'm getting fired. <laughs> this is why I fire her every episode. It's it's a, it's a thing. It's fine. Um, but yeah, so I'm gonna be starting. I have a pun. I have two puns. Cause what would I be? What would I be without puns? Like I wouldn't. I, I don't I know, like live. a regular podcast person. No, no, you can't make that joke twice. You can't hurt my feelings like that two times in a row. What the heck? When did I make it the first time? You made it um a couple of episodes ago. I remember because I was like, ouch. <laughs> because I was like, ouch. My feelings were hurt indeed. And so, you know, I... I remembered it because I felt the same pain that I did this time. <laughs> yes. Also, I want to preface saying I lost my voice like two days ago. So if I sound like crap the whole time, that's why. Hell I, her. I'm just playing. Don't tell her. That's rude. Oh, yeah. No, tell me. Tell me if I sound like crap. I need to know. <laughs> I need to know. But, okay. Oh, but so, that help? No one, <laughs> which is why I need to know. Um, so, Raven, why do cows like being told farmer jokes? Because they're veterinarians. No, because they like being amused, amused. You said it wrong. I did. Because they like being (laughs) amused. Because cows, moo, amused, moo. All right. On to the next one. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) wait, but where does, I want to know, where does a farmer get his medicine from? 
the pharmacy. The pharmacist. You were so close. I thought you looked at my notes. I was going to be upset. The pharmacist? What? A pharmacist. Yeah, he gets his medicine from the pharmacist. You didn't see it, but I did a little dance. Um, okay, but it's the same thing as the pharmacy. Nope, you have to get it verbatim, and if you don't, then it's not right, and I have to okay, call you out. Okay, so, <laughs> this is the first time ever that I've ever gotten a pun correct. And I'm taking it away from you. <laughs> you could just let me have this. That'd Fine. be a great thing. Yeah, no, I'll give it to you. From the amount of puns that I've had on this show, the first one you get right, I'm, I'll give it to you. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So, I had farmer-themed puns because I'm going to be talking about... That, yes. Yeah, I'm going to be talking about, like, a farmer. I don't know. I don't know. It's, like... I don't know. It's, like, a cool thing. You know what I mean? When you're a farmer and you do farming things. Just farmer things. Just farming. Hashtag <laughs> just farmer things. Get me a Pinterest board that's just farming things. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. Getting up to the sunrise, just farmer things. <laughs> <laughs> I hate this already. I should have never suggested it. Um, okay. So I'm gonna be talking about a woman <laughs> named named Henrietta Lacks. And honestly, like I feel really honored to be sharing her story because she wasn't able to live to see her legacy, um, which which is horrible. And very sad. And, like, the impact that she left on the world. But, luckily, she's not completely forgotten, considering that there is a book written about her called The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks by a woman named Rebecca Skloot. And, honestly, if my last name was Skloot, I would be so happy. I would create a dance and call it The Skloot. Like, I I promise. (laughs) The Skloot. (laughs) I don't know what it would be involved in, but it would be called The Skloot. What a dance. And I would live the rest of my do days a rich woman. <laughs> do the glute, do dude. I hate this. <laughs> it's like do the monster mash, but like not. Do the glute, yeah. Um, but you know, sadly, not enough people know of Henrietta Lacks to recognize her name. So that's what I'm here for. I'm here to share this beautiful woman's story. So do you want to? Do you want to know about this? Do you want to know of about her? Of course I do. Okay, you kind of have no choice. Um. Because we run a podcast and you have to listen to me speak, so That's and vice versa. True. I have to. I'm forced to listen to you. You're guys, forced to listen to me. Hold on, <laughs> guys. Help, help, <laughs> help! I want out. Get me out. <laughs> you asked me to do this podcast. <laughs> help. <laughs> Worst decision ever. Am I right? Oh, Just farmer oh my things. God. Um, so, so (laughs) (laughs) when you, when you ask your best friend to do a podcast with you, but in reality, you want to wake up when the sun rises, just farmer things, just farmer things, hashtag. (laughs) (laughs) So Henrietta Lacks was able to give the world some of the most important cells in science and in medical research, which is mind blowing because not a lot of people can do that. Your cells, they're just cells, but her cells are like the cells, like capital the, with a TM next to it. So she was born in 1920, and she was separated from her family uh, once her mother died during birth with her 10th child, 
Could you imagine having ten children, Raven? Uh, never. And I'm not gonna. <laughs> imagine it right now. Share with the class. No, I'm not imagining anything. Get that away from me. No. Uh, so Henrietta, she moved in with her grandfather, and she began to work as a tobacco farmer, like most of her family members in the area were doing. Um, she actually met her future husband here, and she had her first child out of four at the age of 14 while she was working on the farms. So she was a young mother, but she loved her children. And over the span of the next few years, uh, she had two more and got married to Day, who is uh, who was the father of the children. And she moved to Maryland, where she had her fourth child. Um, and then four months after giving birth to her last son, Henrietta was diagnosed with cervical cancer, which is a horrible disease. And around the same time, um, her second daughter, who was named Elise, was placed in a mental institution where she died at 15 years old. So Henrietta's already got like a bit of a tough life, which is a big bummer. Like... I don't know. I'm just, I'm grateful that she's got mm-hmm. the recognition she has now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, all the turmoil she went through was worth it. But, um, according to Wikipedia, because that's a source that I'm able to use now that I'm not writing essays anymore, cough, cough, teachers. <laughs> but I'm sensing some resent. You have no proof. Um, on January 29th, 1951, Lax went to John Hopkins, the only hospital in the area that treated black patients, because she felt a knot in her womb. She had previously told her cousins about the knot, and they assumed correctly that she was pregnant. But after giving birth, Lax had a severe hemorrhage. And it was from here that she was misdiagnosed um, initially. But luckily, when she was diagnosed correctly... The treatment that she was already receiving didn't need to be changed because it was still the correct treatment, which is crazy to me, but okay. Lax was treated with radium tube inserts as an inpatient and was discharged a few days later with instructions to return for x-ray treatments as a follow-up. During her treatments, uh, two, sa- two samples were taken from Lax's cervix without her permission or knowledge. One was of healthy tissue and the other was cancerous. These samples were given to George Otto Gay, or G, I don't remember, but, um, and he's a physician and a cancer researcher at John Hopkins. The cells from the cancer sample eventually became known as the HeLa immortal cell line, a commonly used cell line in contemporary biomedical research. So they named it HeLa because Henrietta Lacks, which is, I just think is baller. Like, could you imagine having cells named after you? No, I couldn't. If you had anything named after you, would it, would you like, would you prefer to name it or would it, would it just be Raven? I don't actually like my name, so, um, I, I'd prefer to not name anything after me. Uh-huh. Would you rather be, be it named after, um, your alter ego, William Howard Harrison? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I knew it. I knew you were secretly <laughs> him, William Howard Harrison, our president of the United Isn't States. It- Wait, well, isn't it William Howard, Harry Howard? <laughs> Who is it? <laughs> What's sorry, his isn't name? it what? <laughs> What's his name? I forgot. Uh, it's William Howard Harrison oh, I, that we... I've already forgotten. That's what I wrote down. <laughs> Mr. William Howard Harrison, man. 
Um, not Harrison Man, but Harrison, comma, man, period. <laughs> man, period, Harrison Man. Harrison Man. That would be a good super name. I wonder if, I wonder if William would Howard it? Harrison would have ever, if he ever dreamed about being a superhero and was like, my name is Harrison Man. And like, went to go save people. Anyways. So anyways, Henrietta Lacks. <laughs> like, back to this wonderful woman. Um, at age 31, which is very young, um, Henrietta Lacks died in the hospital from the cancer spreading throughout her whole body. And according to HopkinsMedicine.org, what he, he being, um, the doctor who took the samples, um, what he would soon discover was that Mrs. Lax's cells were unlike any of the others he had ever seen. Whereas others would die, Miss Lax's cells doubled every 20 to 24 hours. So rather than just like decaying like normal people's cells, they would go through mitosis multiple times, which is bonkers. Um, today, these incredible cells, nicknamed Hewa cells, like I said before, from the first two letters of her first and last names, are used to study the effects of toxins, drugs, hormones, and viruses on the growth of cancer cells without experimenting on humans. They have used, they have been used to test the effects of radiation and poisons to study the human genome to learn more about how viruses work and played a crucial role in the development of the polio vaccine. So, her still, I think her cells are still around today, which is insane because this happened in like the 30s. So. That is pretty crazy, yeah. Or not the 30s, the 50s. 20 years off. But still, like, that's a, that's, that's a whole hot minute that she. A whole hot minute. That she died and then her cells are still around and being used to do research and like research that helps people without experimenting on people. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. what do you kind of gross if they were taking her right now? Yeah, I that part didn't sit with me well, but like, I don't know. I guess it's like, what is it like a silver lining? Because like. Had he not taken the cells, then we wouldn't be where we are now with the medical research. But, like, he shouldn't have taken them the way he did. Yeah, she's really cool, though. I'm glad that she's been, like, remembered, even though she's passed on, you know? Yeah. Like, John Hopkins is very proud to have um, treated her and, like, diagnosed her and stuff because of the type of person, like... The type of person that outlived her, I guess. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. But yeah. Well, that's really cool. So, I know you're, like, really, really big into science and stuff. You're, like, a nerd. Yes. What nerd. kind of... <laughs> what kind of stuff do you think her cells are going to be, like, would help with, like, going forward? Going forward? Like, what do you, what do you mean? Like, like, you remember back in, like, the future episode, we were talking about all these cool stuff that could happen? Yes. Like, do you think the HeLa cells, mm-hmm. right? Do you think they are going to be, like, the cure? Well, not the cure to cancer, obviously, or else cancer would have been cured. But, like, do you think that they're going to, like, contribute towards that? Like, I think they could, that- because because they did take two samples, like one of healthy and then one of the cancerous ones, and 
you could definitely, I don't see why they wouldn't be able to experiment on the cancerous ones to see if cures do work. And that's probably what they're currently doing in an attempt to like work on a cure for cancer. That would make sense. But then again, she didn't just have like a general cancer. She had cervical cancer. So I don't, that's true. I don't know the technicalities and all of that, but I, I don't see why some developments couldn't be made or accomplishments be made. You know what I mean? But I mean, her cells helped create the polio vaccine, which is huge because if that didn't happen, we would all still have polio. Which I personally don't want to have. Yeah, I'm not interested in getting polio. Thank you very much. <laughs> but I mean, yeah. Who is, I, I though? Let's talk about that. People. <laughs> people on the internet. Who is like, I really want to get some polio. Hey, listeners, if you're down with polio, let us know. <laughs> Oh, that so right. we know, so we know to block you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not wanting to be affiliated with any polio wanters in this, in this day because and age. Because that's how it goes now, you know. It's, it's 2019. Polio is contagious through the uh, internet. Oh man, man. Now I gotta go. Now I gotta go talk to my doctor. <laughs> yeah. So. Get that checked out. Yeah, I think I think I'm gonna go do that right now. We should we should take a break real fast while I figure out whether or not I have internet polio. Hey guys, welcome to the first segment of the episode. We are bringing it back with a with an oldie but a goodie, um, and we're gonna be talking about charity of the week. Woo, charity of the week. No, are you excited? I'm excited. I'm so excited. I love charity of the week. I can't wait to tell you about like this really cool charity that I found. So, um, it's called the Princeton Closet. Okay. Is already a pretty cool name if you ask me. Um, and on their website, it says that the Princeton Closet is operated by Susan Weider for the purpose of helping school-aged children have the proper necessities to be successful in the classroom. The Princeton Closet started as just that, a closet, and quickly grew larger, offering more resources. The Princeton Closet has recently moved to an amazing new space uh, located at the Princeton Operations Center in Sharonville, and she has actually expanded the closet to include a food pantry, a baby shop, backpacks, school supplies, and of course, clothes, shoes, coats, and other needed items. Uh, Thanks to generous donations from the community, friends of Princeton, and business partners, the Princeton Closet is helping hundreds of students and their families in our district each year. So, um, Wow, that's really wonderful. Right? So it's kind of like an extension to the school in a way. which I don't know. That's a, that's a pretty cool thing to me because like you've got all these opportunities and like sometimes even as a student like you struggle. So having that kind of like support is really helpful. Yeah, no, I think that's really cool. It also gives um kind of sets kids up to for success in a way, you know, like getting yeah. them ready and setting them up with skills and stuff that they need while also giving them confidence too. I think that's a really cool idea. Exactly. And I'm really glad that they're like helping, um, I guess like underprivileged students and then like nearby people who need assistance and getting like supplies that they can't get. Yeah. It's like community helping, but also Mm -hmm. like with a mission, like not just helping, you know, like they have a purpose. Um, so 
they don't really have like um I don't know how to explain it. Like they don't have like a donation link, but if you or the listeners would like to support the Princeton Closet, um, you can actually contact Susan Wider by her email or by oh, phone cool. number, and by and both of those will be in the episode description if you guys are interested. Wow, that's really awesome. I know, right? I'm just like I'm here for all of this like constant support. This is <laughs> why I, I love charity of the week. <laughs> right? It's like, just always it's feel always good. Always it's always a feel-good moment with Charity of the Week. Like, there's nothing bad about it. <laughs> honestly. Like, it's just... Uh, I I honestly think it's one of my favorites because it's, like... I don't know. Besides, like, good deeds. Because I love talking about positivity. Especially positivity yeah, that helps Yeah, good deeds is up there, people. too. <laughs> good deeds is up there, too. Right? But, yeah, that's a really awesome Charity of the Week, and I'm glad you shared that with us. Thank you. Um. So, yeah, that's the Princeton Closet. And their information will be in the episode description. So, hey, Alana, have you ever heard of Marilyn Monroe? Yes. Well, she's not as cool as this girl. Oh, okay. Are you sure? I'm positive. Because I don't know when Marilyn Monroe and her acting career was like on top I don't know how to golden what I don't know the words when she peaked yes do you want me to look it up I mean you can let's see we haven't looked up anything in a while when did Marilyn Marilyn Monroe peak Marilyn Marilyn what are you doing? I'm trying to spell her name. Marilyn. Um, 1950s and early 1960s. Oh, okay. So, kind of. So this was like before Marilyn's time. So she was like a precursor to Marilyn. I get it. Anyways, this girl, this woman, I should say, mm-hmm. her name is Hetty Lamar, and I think she's really, really awesome, because not only is she this really cool, beautiful actress, film star, she's also, like, an inventor. Like, Ooh. yeah, right? Ooh, is right. That's, like, out of the ordinary. I'm here for it. So, originally, Hedwig which is a beautiful name, Eva Mariah Kessler. Hedy Lamar was born in Vienna, Austria on November 9th in 1914 as the only child to Jewish parents. So Vienna, Austria is really cool, and I wish that I could go there because, like, it's just, like, I don't know. I just think of really cool things happening in Austria, like just good things. Isn't it really pretty over there? Yeah, it's really beautiful. And awesome people apparently come out of Austria. Anyways. Bonkers. Bonkers. So she was, like, spoiled by her mother and doted on by her father. But she grew up, like, as an only child, right? Mm -hmm. So she kind of had a lot of time to spend with both of her parents. Like, with her dad, she would have all these long conversations about, like, machinery and um 
with her mother, she would have all these conversations about like the arts and her father took her on long walks in the park and they could be seen like talking about uh, machines such as the printing press and streetcars and like talking about what what made them work, like the engines and stuff. And by the age of five, she could be seen deconstructing her music box and like trying to see how it works and then putting it back together, which I thought was pretty cool because like it's one thing to take something apart, but like to put it back together is pretty awesome. I think so, that's just a really cute image. It is. It's a really for like a five year old, you know, little inventor. Right. Just to strain a little thing and then trying to put it back together and succeeding. Like proud and of her. succeeding? Yeah, I'm so proud. Good for her. So while she was doing that with her father, her mother was a concert pianist and she introduced her to the arts. And at a young age, she was not only put into um uh ballet lessons but like piano lessons as well and mm-hmm. as someone who has taken piano lessons can I tell you how much dedication that takes listen you guys like, want to learn how to play piano you really do or else it just doesn't you like you can't be forced into learning the piano honestly like there has <laughs> to be something there so her childhood was full of like a lot of rich culture and stuff which I think is awesome for a child to learn but by the age of 16, she was, quote unquote, discovered by director Max Reinhardt. And her looks kind of took center stage. And she studied acting with him for her first movie role in a German film called Geld auf der Straße, or Money on the Street, which is like a total gangster movie, I can tell. Right, just by the title alone, I feel threatened. I feel like, yeah, no, something went down on that street besides money. I can tell. There was a murder, too. <laughs> something more than money happened on this street, and I want to know. <laughs> and I wanted a, something in German. It had to be a German street. I know it. Oh, my goodness. So that was her, like, first role ever. But she didn't really get fame until her role in Ecstasy in 1932, which also... That's a whole movie title. Listen, <clears throat> that whole, like, area and their, like, title naming, 10 out of 10. That's true. They, they do have our, some. They should name our episodes. <laughs> Maybe we could, like, get, get one of our listeners to <laughs> email yeah, all of Germany. Come up with some nice, awesome, like, names for our podcast, please. Thanks. We just we just email all of Germany and we're like, listen. <laughs> Listen to this audio and then name it, please. <laughs> Thank you. So after getting into her, like, acting, she, like, did a whole bunch of movies and started gaining fame. And she ended up marrying a um, an Austrian munitions dealer named Fritz Mondel, who uh, was one of her fans and kind of low-key stalked her a little bit, which is the vibes I was feeling. Yeah. But they ended up getting married, and um, it kind of turned out to be, like, a really abusive marriage. And she, like, she decided, like, she couldn't. There were, like, interviews of her, and she was saying that she couldn't be an actor or, like, pursue any of her, like, any of the things that she wanted to while she was married to him. Like, she Mm -hmm. didn't feel safe at all. So she left that marriage, right? 
But um, she left that marriage and then moved to a freer life in London. But she also kind of left the marriage with this new knowledge of wartime weaponry from being, you know, the wife of a munitions dealer. Like, she sat at the table. She was around, like, business talk sometimes, you know. So she walked away with all this knowledge. And as someone who grew up with, like, a natural knowledge, like, a natural, like, wanting need of knowing that kind of stuff, like, I'm sure it was, like, really interesting to her. Mm -hmm. So she had had all this cool knowledge, and she's in London, and she's um, finally introduced to this MGM studio executive. His name is Louis, or Louis, who cares, B. Mayer. I think Louis. Louis sounds cooler. Louis B. Mayer. (laughs) I'm going to name this man because I feel like that is a cooler name. (laughs) I mean, come on. It's like, what's his face? What did Griffin, <laughs> Griffin did the same thing? <laughs> Boylan. Oh, yeah. Boylan. Boylan versus Boyland. Boyland. <laughs> so he is now, he is now Louis. Sir, if your name was Louis, we are not sorry. <laughs> we are not sorry. Louis B. Mayer. Um, and secured her spot in Hollywood and that was like her big break so she Mm -hmm. moved to Hollywood and became like famous on famous and she started moving making all these really cool movies and most importantly she met this dude named Howard Hughes and Howard Hughes was a pilot and while they dated the most interesting aspect of Hughes was his desire of in- for innovation. So Hughes was like this cool pilot dude, like a cool pilot dude. <laughs> I, I love it. But he was also this really cool, smart inventor. And he helped her. He bought her like this small set of equipment that she could keep in her trailer that allowed her to build and test her inventions between takes while filming. So like he was a really big proponent of like, like keeping her interested in like her inventing side, you know, and I think that's really cool and important. And you know, couple goals. Shout right. out to like to Hughes he and seems, Lamar. He seems like a really good guy. Double H. We yeah, we, we like you. <laughs> we stand. We stand Howard Hughes. No, his name isn't Howard so, Hughes anymore. It's Double H. <laughs> Double H. Okay, I've decided. He sounds like <laughs> a film noir. Like, <laughs> villain. Like, double H. <laughs> Guys, double H has ears to the ground. He knows everything. He knows everything. So, uh, yeah, double H showed, um, showed her all kinds of inventions. And he showed her how, like, his planes were built. And he showed her his plane factory. And then introduced her to the scientists behind it. So, like, he really like got her foot in the door and started showing her like how things worked on a grander scale. That's really awesome that he was such a big influence in her life. You know, it's super awesome to find someone that is interested in stuff like you and like can help you, you know, like you guys can grow together, you know? Yeah. So Hughes wanted to build faster planes that could be sold to the U S military. So Lamar was inspired to look at bird and fish books. And 
And so she combined the fins of the fastest fish and the wings of the fastest bird to sketch a new wing design for Hughes's plane. And upon seeing the idea, Hughes responded with, you're a genius, which I think is adorable. That is so sweet. Oh, yeah. Which also really cool idea to, to look at like nature to base off your inventions, because that's like, that's really smart. He was right. She is a genius. Yeah. So Lamar went on to invent an upgraded stoplight, a tablet that when dissolved in water turns it into a Coca-Cola type drink, which I would heavily buy a million times over. I'm and sure. her most yes. And her most <laughs> significant invention was engineered right as the United States was entering the Second World War. So in nineteen forty, Lamar met George Antheil at a dinner party, which, you know, meet cute. And Antheil and Antheil, I guess, whatever. You got this. Was another quirky yet clever force to be reckoned with. Known for his writing, film scores, and experimental music compositions, he shared the same inventive spirit as Lamar. She and Anthill talked about a variety of topics, but their greatest concerns was the looming war. So after uh, after Lamar had like been around that whole uncomfortable imagery like being with her abusive marriage. Like, because her husband totally was in with the Nazis. Mm-hmm. So, or, like, was floating in those crowds. She kind of got a hint of that. She didn't, that was another reason why she left the marriage, because she wasn't comfortable with it. So, like, seeing that whole, like, war come to power, she kind of got into looking at different things that, different um, inventions and weaponry munitions that would help kind of help the u.s military because she also had the knowledge from her marriage too so all of these things were kind of coming together and she was like hoping to use it for like the good of the axis powers so the two of them came up with this extraordinary new communication system used with the intention of guiding torpedoes to their targets in war the system involved the use of frequency hopping amongst radio waves with both transmitter and receiver hopping to new frequencies together. Doing so prevented the interception of radio waves, thereby allowing the torpedo to find its intended target. So after they made this really cool invention, which is like awesome because um, torpedoes could easily be intercepted back then. Mm-hmm. Um, after they made that, they tried to patent it, which they ended up doing. And then selling it to the military and while the patent went through the military rejected it which i think is dumb big dumb whatever so yeah the navy decided against it but the ignorant significance of their invention wasn't realized until like a couple decades later after the deck boats passed on and it was first implemented on naval ships during the cuban missile crisis and subsequently emerged in numerous military applications. But most importantly, the spread spectrum technology that Lamar helped to invent would galvanize the digital communications boom, forming the technological backbone that makes cellular phones, fax machines, and other wireless operations like Bluetooth, which we all use like literally every day. Mm-hmm. It makes all those possible. So she basically invented Bluetooth. Good for her. Like, yeah. She's a like, whole it's power a whole, woman. 
She is. Like, she took all of these things that she learned in life and, like, really tied them all together to, like, build something really cool that helped decades down the line. Like, that's awesome. I'm proud of her, and the military is bunk for not buying it because they could have had non-interceptable torpedoes, but no. Yeah, but here we are. Yeah, so she basically... Because the military, like, rejected her, she instead used, like, her fame to to help with the war efforts and started, like, selling war bonds and stuff like that, which mm-hmm. probably not as helpful, but, you know, the military sucks. It, it's, it's something. <laughs> so I was going to say she lived on, like, the rest of her life, like, in, as an American citizen because uh, she was still technically Austrian. So in 1953, she became an American citizen. Um, but she basically lived out her life without ever seeing, like, the, the really cool improvements that added to, like, improvements that her invention made, you know, which sucks. But yeah, she did eventually sad. get some awards. Well, that's good. I mean, it sucks that it was, like, posthumously that she got those awards and stuff, mm-hmm. but still, like, the fact that she was recognized and being a female inventor, it's very difficult to get stuff. Like, get your Especially name on the things that you invented. Like, yeah, it and seems then, like even, like, posthumously, it's even harder for you to yeah, get Yeah, especially like, when you're working with men. Like, no offense to the guys out there, but, like, but there's been still, cases. Though. Yeah, it's been, like, there's been, like, documented cases of, like, women being the ones to invent this situation. And then, like, the men put their names on it instead and take the credit. Like, so it's really nice to see that, like, everybody got their credit where it was due, which is pretty yeah. cool. So she's also known really adorably as the mother of Wi-Fi. Oh, my God. Yes, she's mom. It's official. She is mom. Yeah. She's mama Wi-Fi. <laughs> mama Wi-Fi. That's cute. Well, good on her. She she had a, an up and down type of life, but, I mean, but, at yeah, the end again, of the day. She used all of it towards her advantage, which I think yeah. is the cool lesson. Use every use everything in like a good light, guys. Like that's that's what we learned from Miss Lamar here, okay? <laughs> First of all, her name was Hetty, which I love. Hey. It was actually Hedwig, but okay. Hedwig, Hetty, cute. Love it. I mean, good for her. She she lived her life, made the best out of it, became famous, sold some war bonds, you know. Right? Like she had a whole whirlwind of a life like no one can say she didn't live became mama wi-fi you know it's it's how it is i hope i hope you and i can be mama wi-fi one day maybe not i'm not an inventor but (laughs) (laughs) maybe we can be maybe we can be mama uh lumian fonts we technically okay we're (laughs) Let me dream. <laughs> hey guys, welcome back to the second segment of this episode. Almost said this week's. I don't know what I said, but I said something weird. You were almost close to not saying the right thing, that's for sure. That's for sure. 
Uh, but this is Obsession of the Week, which I feel like we haven't done in a while. But, you know, these things cycle around. So I feel like I say that about every segment. You know what? Yeah, I feel like we haven't done every segment in a while. <laughs> yeah. Besides the so one that we did like, last these, week. This is how we set up this thing to work. So, but we are on Obsession of the Week this week. So let me go ahead and tell you what I've been completely and utterly obsessed about lately. Please do. Which has been writing or rather my lack thereof because it's really hard to write without a computer which I broke recently but that's also not the reason why I haven't been writing I have insane writer's block which is always fun to deal with but lately I've been like getting into like different methods of trying to get around your writer's block and stuff so I thought I'd share that with a couple of you guys just a couple of you guys not all of you no, not all of them like to write. That's okay. <laughs> That's fine. So one of the things that I've kind of always been interested in is six-word stories. And they are these really cool, like, I can't even explain them. Like, some of them are inspirational. Some of them are just creepy. Some of them are horror stories. But it's a sentence or a story made up of only six words. So you can imagine, like, it takes a lot of, you know inspiration and work to get a whole entire story or a whole entire like thought in just six words so I've been trying to create my own six word stories which has been fun because like it's fun to first create up a story and then see how you can like shorten it to only six words so that's been kind of helping my creative flow also I've been doing stream of consciousness writing which is basically like um, just sitting down in front of your computer, your laptop, whatever, and just writing literally whatever comes to mind. Like, doesn't have to make sense. Doesn't have to, like, have any logic or anything. It could be a dream you dreamt last night. But um, just, you know, getting it down and writing it. And a process really kind of helps loosen up all the gears and stuff and get you into a more, like, into a more writing mindset. So both of those things have kind of helped me lately with my writer's block, which has been literally the worst thing ever. But, you know, it happens. I mean, any kind of like brainstorming is helpful when you're trying to kind of not force creativity, but encourage it. Because, you know, it's just like, I don't know, brainstorming allows you to get all of your crazy thoughts out all at once and then make sense of it later. (laughs) And then it creates a really nice storyline that you can mess with. So. I'm glad that both of those options have been trying or trying and succeeding maybe to help you get over your writing. Hopefully, hopefully I believe in you. You can do it. (laughs) So what are you obsessed about this week, Alana? Um, well, I've been, I've been more in tune with my gamer side this week. Um, yeah, I know. So I moderate for, um, a streamer on Twitch and if those words made no sense to you, then that's okay. <laughs> but basically, um, Twitch is a service in which like you stream games on and like have people, it's like, like a live stream and then you have people like in your chat and talk to you and like interact and stuff. Um, and I moderate for one of the people that does that. And it's really been inspiring me to like, just stream a game every once in a while and like I don't know I think it's a cool opportunity and like I haven't done it yet but I think it's a really cool idea and I just been like enamored with the idea of like streaming and 
bonding with someone over like video games or how so, bad you are at them. <laughs> what types of games do people stream? Oh, all kinds. Um, like they've been streaming a lot of like Fortnite and Minecraft, you know, the big two. <laughs> um, but like literally any kind of game in you get an audience and it's actually pretty cool because like everybody's got their different niches and stuff like that so you know that sounds like a lot of fun and a cool way to like meet other people that are interested in the same thing you are right and then like you get a good connection with the people that like show up to watch your stuff and then like a lot of people make jobs out of it which i think is pretty cool because like it's not your traditional quote-unquote like workplace on the internet you know what i mean so mm-hmm but yeah, that's kind of what I've been obsessed with is just like the idea of streaming and like the the details of it and what you need to do. Well, that's really cool. It seems like a highly technological hobby. Um, I don't know if I'm qualified for, but, you know, sounds like a really cool hobby. And I'm glad that you're getting into it. You're insane. <laughs> I mean, even if you're not qualified, like you can still learn. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like there's always room for for knowledge, um, especially when it comes to, like, technology and stuff like that, so. Yep, you heard it here on Lumian Fonts, folks. There's always room for knowledge. Always room. We're knowledge podcasts. There better always be room for knowledge. That's true, or else we're out of jobs. <laughs> right, I was like, we'd be out of a job if that was the case. Um, but yeah, that's that's been my obsession of the week. Um, yours sounds pretty difficult, Raven. I'm yours- sorry. Sounds pretty difficult. <laughs> I mean, but mine's something like a that lot can, of... like, mine is something that I can, like, look up and then learn about. Yours is, like, a mental thing in which, like, <laughs> you've got to overcome. Uh, well, <laughs> I wish you the we... best of luck. Thanks. <laughs> One day, we're going to take each other's obsessions of the weeks. I can't wait for you to become obsessed with streaming, if that's the case. <laughs> we're going to... You know what we should do? We should do that. We should take each other's obsession of the weeks from the prior obsession of the week and see if we, too, become obsessed with each other's obsessions of the week. That'd be pretty cool. I don't want to be obsessed with writer's block, though, but you know what? I'm I mean, it. you know, it'd be a good one. It'd be a good one. It wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, not writer's I mean, like, we choose a good one. Oh. <laughs> not saying yeah, that no, writer's no. block is, like, a good thing to have. No, I I agree with you. I think that's a pretty good idea. Well, I am so glad that you joined me here for this edition of Obsession of the Week. It was my pleasure. Raven, so it turns out, don't have internet polio. Pretty Gucci, if you ask me. But... I have something that's even worse than internet polio. Um, there are a lot of things worse than internet polio. It's puns. No. But specifically, journalism puns. And do you know how hard it was to find journalism puns that were, like, short enough to fit in, like, a 10-second span? <laughs> I mean, why are journalism puns long? Like, I don't understand. I, I don't know, but each one told a story about different characters that I didn't care <laughs> said, about. But each one told a story. <laughs> so I was just like, you know what? Can I find a baby one, please? Uh, and then I found one. So I only have one because journalism puns are difficult. 
That's okay. You, the effort was there. The effort was there. I spent like 30 minutes. So you better enjoy this pun, okay? What do you get if you cross a sports reporter with a vegetable, a commentator, like like a potato, like tater, and then they commentate because they're commentators. Oh, so, with so a vegetable. A common, yes. Got it. I yes. forgot potatoes were a vegetable. <laughs> <laughs> Did you think they were fruit? I don't know. Not a fruit. Not like a root. I don't know. They're, <laughs> I mean, they are, but like they're still vegetables. I don't look. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. You know what? I'm not going to fault you for it. Um, but yeah, so I had to find journalism puns because I'm talking about a journalist today and she's a pretty important journalist. So if you're like a journalist, like in school and stuff, you should know this person because she changed the game in school and stuff. And if you don't, you're not a journalist and that's fine. You'll learn. And I'm here to teach you. So if you're interested in being a journalist, I've got you. Why did you just slam every journalist here that doesn't know about this person? Because they need to. They need to know. So, (laughs) shall we begin? We shall. So, um, her name was Elizabeth Cotrain Seaman, which is a whole name. A whole name. Her initials spell X, and I love it. Um, anyways, so she was, <laughs> so she was one of the bravest journalists to be around in the 1880s, um, and she's best known by her pen name, though, Nellie Bly, and that's also a whole name, like, I want to know where she came up with that one. I don't know, she'd be on the sly, Nellie Bly. <laughs> so, listeners, um, I'm very sad to tell this news to you, um, but man, Lumi and Fonz is no longer in production. Um, we were sued for <laughs> for a comment being made. She's sly, comma Nellie Bly. <laughs> Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. So <laughs> you will you will not be hearing anything new from us. <laughs> I don't know who sued us, but we don't have enough to settle, so we've got to go to court. Um, no. So her name was Nellie Bly, and sadly, like her main work isn't really recognized as hers since no one really talks about it (laughs) because that's how that's how things are I guess now but she is known mainly for a trip that she made in 1889 and Raven do you know the book around the world in 80 days I sure do you should and I'm glad you do so Nellie Bly took this book read it and said hmm bet and she made the global trip in 72 days (laughs) Nice. So she won up a fictional fictional trip to say suck it, I guess. Um, Right? Like, what is, (laughs) I guess. Like, she she was just like, that's a challenge, gonna do it, and did it, and was shorter than what the estimated time would be, I guess. But that's not what we're here to talk about, kind of. Um... (laughs) Her big piece that made her known is still around for people to look into, thankfully, because honestly, it's a very interesting like topic and it's a very serious one as well. So once she was employed as a columnist for the Pittsburgh Dispatch, which is 
why is your newspaper called the Dispatch? Like, do you work with the because, police? Because, uh, yes, you do. Um, okay, no more questions. No more, <laughs> no more further questions. Um, so once she worked for them, they really only really, like, wanted her to write pieces regarding and addressing women for some reason. So according to uh, womenshistory.com, or .org, sorry. <laughs> you org. sounded so. Listen, because okay, I wrote it down as .com too when I was researching it, and I went back and I was like, no, it's .org. So to make that audible no, mistake. you sounded like you sounded really like sassy. Like you were like, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Listen, you're an organization, not a com. Okay, I get it. Um, but. She wanting to write a piece or wanting to write pieces that addressed both men and women, Bly began looking for a paper that would allow her to write more serious work. And at first she wanted to write about the experience um, about like regarding those who were immigrants within the U.S., which is still very relevant today, which is yeah, still relevant. I was going to say sad and funny, but like it's neither of those things. Like, I, I don't know. I guess it's just disappointing that we're still having this issue. But she wanted to write about the experience that the that the immigrants who lived within the U.S. were going through. And her editor just said, hey, why don't you write about something else? And I guess it wasn't like a, a condescending, like write about something else type of situation. It was more of um the editor declined her story because he wanted her to be more challenged. So he requested that she investigate one of New York's most notorious mental hospitals. And Bly not only accepted the challenge, but she decided to feign mental illness to gain admission and expose how patients were treated, which is going the extra mile. And I don't know how she did it. (laughs) I mean, I know how she did it, but like mentally, I don't know how she like prepared for what she was going to get into because like, you don't know what you're going into. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's so wild. With this courageous and bold act, Bly cemented her legacy as one of the foremost female journalists in history, which I think is a pretty solid like stamp to have. Awesome. It's an amazing stamp to have. Like it's a stamp I would personally want if I was a journalist. Right. Like, I feel like that's the stamp that you want to have on your name. Like, especially if you're a journalist, like you are the most foremost female journalist in history. Like, yes, I did it. I'm proud of her. (laughs) So this article spanned six parts. So it, it took I don't know if it was like published weekly or daily, but it took six different newspapers to get the whole story. And it was titled Behind Asylum Bars, which is a spooky title and definitely would have gotten me. I would have read it in a heartbeat. Um, and don't laugh at me. I can't so help it. <laughs> why, okay, why are you laughing at me? Definitely would have got me. That title, I would have been in. <laughs> Listen, she, she knew how to title, and I would have been like, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. I want to read this. Thank you. And I would have stolen the nearest newspaper because I didn't have money. And like 20 cents. What part of I didn't have money did you not understand? <laughs> I will lend you the 20 cents. This is in the 1880s. I'm poor. Okay. 
I, I have to sell the newspapers. Listen, and then so I, I read I'm them on the fly. Alexander Hamilton, I will lend you 20 cents. I don't want to be in debt. <laughs> That's how debt starts, okay? <laughs> I'm what's next? Alexander interest? Hamilton, I don't know what debt means. <laughs> <laughs> on to the next subject. At least when it comes to me and my personal debts. You and your personal debts, you ignore them without a doubt. Um, so before she was committed, uh, she said, I was asked by the world, which I think is another like newspaper publishing. I know. Company. I was like, that sounds pretentious. <laughs> she, the whole world sent her a letter saying, Hey, could you do this thing <laughs> for but us? please? For us, please. We need to know <laughs> the world needs answers. Um, but she was asked by the world if I could have myself committed to one of the asylums for the insane in New York with a view to writing a plain and unvarnished narrative of the treatment of the patients therein, which, you know what? I forgot that this was in the 1880s. And I was like, why do you write so fancy? Like what? Why do you got to put therein in there? I don't understand. (laughs) Because it's the 1880s. Well, like now I understand, but I'm like, you could just say in there or or of the patients. Hey, she is one of the, Top foremost women <laughs> journalist in the world. You better not judge her and her writing. You were absolutely right. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> so apparently Bly found that getting herself committed was the easy part. But I think as most journalists, like no offense, but as most journalists, they have a plan to get in and then not how to get out. Because I feel like <laughs> that's anyone ever anything doing anything ever. <laughs> because like. She and her editors, they were like, yeah, 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 this is, this is how we're going to do this. And then, like, when it happened, they were like, oh, but how's she going to get out, though? Because, like, they they had, they had didn't have a plan to get her released after she got enough information for the story. <laughs> Which Dummies. is just, like, could you imagine accidentally getting yourself trapped in a mental institution I because mean, you wanted to write a story? an accident like you you got yourself in there on purpose <laughs> well yeah but like you didn't have intentions to stay like homie shouldn't have been in there in the first place absolutely right listen miss bly what did we learn <laughs> what did we learn <laughs> so um so she boarded in a home that was near i, I don't even want to say nearby but she like she stayed in one of the boarding homes under a name uh, I think it was Bly Brown, which is, she's got a pseudonym for her pseudonym. like <laughs> Right? Like, why, why do you need a name on a name? She's got to be extra sneaky, just in case people recognize Nellie Bly. They're like, oh, there it is. But, like, who has the first name of Bly, like, in the area? I don't know. Good for her for trying to come up with something. But she went under this name and acted similar to a woman who seemed to be the most insane, which I don't know how you point that out but here we are and i also love how it's like seemed she yeah, seems like, to be the had, most insane person around i don't or... believe she had any proof to like say that she was insane in any <laughs> she way she performed but she, she seems seems crazy. To be the most crazy i also love how it's the most crazy person out of like she had she had an assortment of insane people right, to take like, from and she was like you she was the most crazy <laughs> <laughs> Well, so she she mimicked her basically, and after a bit, um, Bly was accused of insanity, as as you are when you pick the one of the most <laughs> as insane one people, does. as one does. 
Um, and after she was taken to the courthouse, I guess the judge was like, she woke up wrong because they were just like, yeah, you're insane. Like they quickly declared that Nellie Bly was insane and ordered her to the famed insane uh, ward at Belle- Bellevue Hospital. And that's nice. where she, yeah. But I'm just like, could you imagine you walk into the courthouse, you're like, hey, and she's like crazy and like slams the gavel down. Nice. I mean, if I was trying to get that, that uh sentence i mean do you think she like pumped her fist in the air was like yes after she i was, mean like, no <laughs> listen it didn't say she was a good actor she just probably said she was a good a journalist little... i mean she's she was crazy <laughs> she's got to be that good of an actor <laughs> i mean fair i just i also think people were too quick to judge <laughs> no she she probably she lived said in a boarding like, home and said you look the most crazy i'm gonna i'm gonna mimic she you probably literally said something like jesus isn't real and they were like nope crazy Mm-mm. nope not allowed not in this no. christian courthouse goodness well um so the ambulance driver that was taking her the ambulance to the hospital. yeah <laughs> Then yeah. he was taking her there, even said to her uh, that the hospital was an insane place where you'll where you'll never get out of, like oh, a good. threat. <laughs> and so she was like, uh-oh, so SpaghettiOs. is this like, uh-oh, it's SpaghettiOs? Because she still didn't have a plan <laughs> to get out. And she was like, oh, I should probably have thought about that before I had, before I went in. <laughs> have you ever seen Shutter Island? No. I'm pretty sure it's based on this story. (laughs) Really? Like, there are so many similarities. Well, um, well, maybe you could point them out the more I read. So, he threatened her with this little baby threat. So, when she got there, she took notice of how little the doctors actually, like, paid attention to their patients. And the numbers kind of varied, but... It seemed that there was 16 doctors to the 1,600 patients that were admitted into the into the hospital. Jeez. So yeah, so each doctor had about like 100 patients, if I did my math correctly. So, I mean, it's difficult to give all your patients that like attention if you have that many, but you know, still. Why do you and, have that many? Right, <laughs> and apparently. They didn't seem to care when Bly herself or any other inmate cried for release from the hospital. So you had a lot of people who were claiming that they weren't crazy, which is why I'm saying, like, I feel like people back in the day were very quick to judge. But the doctors would not listen. They didn't care if you had proof. They would just go on about their day, give you your medicine, and then, you know, call it a day, I guess. So, I mean, crazy. Yeah, I mean, this it, that's what the story's about. <laughs> I know. I know. But, um, so, she also reported on the cultural insensitivity and language barriers experienced by immigrant women who spoke little to no English, and a host of hostile and abusive treatments from mandatory cold baths to confinement in small, damp, and vermin-infested lock rooms. So, I think for people to read that in the newspaper which is just like commonplace I think a lot of people had a reality shock of what was like going on Mm -hmm. um 
And luckily, so she she ended up figuring out how she was going to get out. <laughs> so good. Her editors, That's good. Her editors sent an attorney <laughs> to take care of her release, um, especially since after a couple of days of being there, she started to carry herself in a more mentally stable state in an attempt to, like, get the doctors to recognize that she was genuinely not, like, clinically insane. But once again, the doctors paid no mind. They figured that it was just a front and that, you know, she belonged there. So she I don't know if she wrote to her editors, but I guess after a couple of days of being held here, they were like, oh, something should be done. So they sent an attorney. Um, Luckily, her piece had an incredible impact in New York and the government there actually sent more funds to the mental hospitals on Blackwell's Island and an investigation on the asylums was ordered. Um, Approximately one month after her articles ran in print, many of the most glaring problems she reported on had improved. Um, There was better living and the sanitary conditions were instituted and there was more nourishing meals and translators were actually hired for the foreign born who oh, that's were not really necessarily cool. right like i'm so glad that they like thought of everything because i i don't know like i feel like even though if there is a mental problem there like you're still human so you deserve human treatment and i'm glad that they're recognizing that so they hired translators for the foreign born who were not necessarily mental, mentally ill but simply could not understand their keepers and the most abusive nurses and physicians were actually fired and then replaced. So that's good. It sounds yeah. like they really turned it around once um all of it got out the tea. Once the tea was spilled, everything started to get fixed. And like the story actually spread throughout the country and kind of like influenced a lot of other people to like change the way that they were running their institutions as well because you had the public that was like, well, if that's really how we're treating people, like, what the heck? So, yeah. Good job. I mean, yeah, that's a good job that it's spread that way. Cause it could have been like, people could have ignored it too, you know? Yeah. If it hadn't been for the way she wrote it. I mean, I feel like people did ignore it too, but the people who needed to read it, read it, you know what I mean? So, yeah, that's true. That's really cool. Thank you for sharing that with us yeah I just thought it was a cool like I don't know cool background to something that's still a problem today you know what I mean because yeah people who are mentally ill in today's society are still kind of looked down upon or it's romanticized in a really gross way and like I I feel like if they read this article or even like like dived into the reality of everything it would be different so I don't know. But yeah, that's Nellie, Nellie Bly or Elizabeth Cotrain Seaman. What's up, you guys? Welcome to the last segment of this week's episode. We are going to be doing Why America Sucks. And I feel like, I feel like whenever I say that, like on like in the background we should have like a, a messed up version of like the national anthem no i feel like we should do like some colbert nonsense you know like and do like a like a waving american flag that does some i don't know something dramatic <laughs>
Something, yeah, something dramatic. We'll figure it out. We'll figure <laughs> but, it out. Next, guys. <laughs> Next week. But I'm going to be telling you um, a couple of reasons as to why America sucks and, like, things that we should be copying from other countries. So, Ooh. yeah. Okay. So thank you, wisebread.com. Uh, I don't know when the bread got smart, but we still must obtain it. Let's get that bread. Let's Anyways, get the bread. Let's get the bread. So, first off, Sweden. Uh, Sweden turns its trash into power, <laughs> which blows my sounds own mind. Like, that sounds like Sweden. Yeah, I, I, thank you. It sounds like a completely Sweden thing to do. And, like, no offense to anybody in Sweden. Like, we're not, like, stereotyping you. but like No, that's, like, a good Swedish. Like, that's a stereotyping Yeah. Part. Like, we're like, yeah, uh, you're nice. There you go. You you turn your trash into power. <laughs> you turn you're very, your trash into power. Yeah. You're very efficient. Um. So Sweden burns trash to generate the electricity and that electricity basically powers like most of the homes and businesses in Sweden. Um, Norway does the same thing, but Sweden Im- uh, imports trash to produce energy, which is not a bad problem to have. Um, and what the U.S. would need to do is to um, invest heavily in infrastructure that would turn the trash into electricity. And it's unlikely to meet all of America's power needs because, like, we're so big. But, you know, you got to start somewhere. Um, the next one is Germany has pedestrian-only areas. And it's basically just, like, giving people who are walking more room to roam rather than just, like, the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, and it, like, lowers pedestrian fatal- fatalities, too, which is, like, bueno. Beautiful. Yeah. Um. The next one is the UK, and they have a student loan repayment program, and it's basically like for college students in England, Scotland, Northern Ireland, Ireland, <laughs> Northern Ireland, and Wales. A government program makes paying back student loans easier and cheaper than other countries. Um, and there's a website called Globalize Me, and it's a website that helps students worldwide decide where to study abroad. Because it's easier to study abroad than it is to, like, go to school in America. Um, let's see. And if the loan can't be repaid within 30 years, it's completely written off. Oh, wow. Which is just, like, super cool. France has, like, a special type of health care, I guess. Uh, this is another area uh, where many other countries can be a model for the U.S. And Canada is real... Australia and Italy, um, along with others, like fall into this category. And the World Health Report 2000 listed France as the best country in the world in terms of health care, combining the private and public sectors to provide universal health care coverage for all. So universal health care is never a bad thing. <laughs> never a bad thing. I completely agree. And then we've got then we've got Estonia and their free Wi-Fi. <laughs> love Estonia. Estonia is like my new favorite country. I'm pretty sure they've got a very high rate of uh, um, parental uh, birth rates. And when I say birth rates, I really mean that thing. Like paternal and maternal leave? leave. Yes. Yes. Estonia is is one of the countries with a very high high paternal leave. Yes. Um, They're pretty good. 
listen, Estonia is just like proving more and more why they're better than America. And honestly, like I, I can't complain. Let's <laughs> all move to Estonia. <laughs> right. So um, to them, it's basically just like another service, like tap water and like clean streets. So they have like all of their services are managed online, including voting, signing legal documents, prescriptions from doctors and paying by text. And they call them they call themselves uh Estonia, like E as in like electric. Cute. <laughs> um so known as Estonia, Wi Fi is free throughout the country, making working life easy for anyone with a laptop computer. Which I think is just like so baller. Like please give people free Wi Fi. It's it's hard, but it's not that hard. <laughs> but let's think about this. How big is Estonia? I think it's baby. Yeah. I think it's a pretty small country, which means but, supplying the whole country with Wi-Fi is pretty easy. Okay, but it's not going to be like an all or nothing type thing. Like you gradually introduce it. You know what I mean? Like put a little bit here and then a little bit here. And if people complain, then shut up. So that's not how democracy works. Yes, it is. I'm a, I'm a democracer. That's, that's the term. Ooh, moving right along here. <laughs> So the next one is um, Panama, and I think this is the last one, but Panama has long tourist visas, and for um, this is basically like for foreigners who want to visit Panama, the country gives them a lot more time to explore. Um, people holding North American or EU passports, along with other countries, are given a six-month tourist visa in Panama, um, unlike the 30 days or less to visit. So, like, that the other countries have, which I think is That's a lot cool, of time. Yeah. <laughs> Gives you time to get your life together. Could you imagine just chilling for half a year in Panama? People do that. Just big chilling in Panama? I'm here for it. Hey, do you want to go chill in Panama? You know, I've been to Panama, and it's really hot. Really? Really hot. We'll go in the winter. <laughs> you know, my dad grew up in Panama for a while. Really? Yeah, he, he was a army brat. See, I learned more about your dad on this podcast than I have in our whole friendship. That's hilarious. And like accurate. <laughs> like I don't <laughs> I feel like I know him too well. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I'm here for it. <laughs> but um but yeah, those are just a couple of reasons. Couple out of like a lot as to why America sucks. what's up have you ever thought about like those really cool people who have like had near-death experiences or something actually yeah so i'm about to tell you about this really cool woman who's had really awesome near-death experience like multiple or just one let's find out okay oh okay that's ominous. So, right on in. Her name is Violet Jessup. Which That's I also a- think, can I just point out, that we both chose women, which I think is really cool, because we're, like, super cool like that. Anyways, um, I love her first name. It's beautiful. It really is. I, I dig it. She was born in Argentina in 1887, 
And she came out of the womb beating the odds. She was born Violet Constance Jessup, which really beautiful name. I just love names around here, guys. Right. We pick we pick people with those cool names. You know what I mean? <laughs> Do you remember those witches we talked about that one time? They had cool names. Yeah. And they had really cool names, too. Anyways, moving on. She was the first of nine children, six of whom survived, all born to Irish immigrants William and Catherine Jessup. So, like, right away, she's near-death experiencing right now. That's one down. Okay. I don't think, I don't think that's what that is, but okay. Yeah, right. You're like, I don't think that's how that works that way, but okay. Anyways. You're the expert here. I'm just going to let you roll with it. Yeah, no, it's my train. Um, so, so she spent most of her youth caring for her younger siblings, and um, when she was about, <clears throat> I believe, five or six, it's like unclear of when, um, her, she was diagnosed with tuberculosis, which doctors say should have killed her, but mm-hmm. it didn't. She survived, but like, it was a really bad case of tuberculosis, like they really should have killed her. Wow. So, um, yeah, she kind of dodged death that way. And so that's then, one. Yeah, <laughs> we'll count so that one. one. Okay, we'll count that one. So then when she was 16, her father died after complications of surgery, and her, fa- and her family moved back to England. And after attending Covenant School, she followed in her mother's footsteps and became a stewardess. And her first ever position was with Royal Mail Line aboard the Orinoco, which is a great name for a ship in 1908 so almost what 20 years later so she's a baby she's 20 mm-hmm. yes i think so i can't 1911 <laughs> i know i can't either and then i stopped thinking about it so in 1911 jessup started working as a stewardess for the white star vessel rms olympic the olympic was a luxury ship that was the largest civilian liner at that time Jessup was on board on 20th September 1911 when the Olympic left from Southampton and collided with the British warship HMS Hawk. There were no fatalities, and despite damage, the ship was able to make it back to port without sinking. So she was on a shoreliner that, like, collided with a warship. Goodness. And, like, everyone was okay. So I think that's two. I think she dodged another bullet. I think so, too. And also, I'm beginning to think she's, like, a guardian angel. Like, <laughs> conspiracy theory, like you guys. she's got, okay, let's, let's find out. She's a good luck charm, maybe? <laughs> so, next, in 1912, Jessup boarded the RMS Titanic as a stewardess on the 10th of April at age 24. Four days later, on the 14th of April, it struck an iceberg in the North Atlantic, where the Titanic sank a little more than two hours after the collision. Jessup described in her memoirs how she was ordered up on deck because she was to function as an example of how to behave for the non-English speakers who could not follow the instructions given to them. She, she watched as the crew loaded the lifeboats. She was later ordered into the lifeboat 16, and as the boat was being lowered, one of the Titanic's officers gave her a baby to look after. The next morning, Jessup and the rest of the survivors were rescued by the RMS Carpathia. According to Jessup, while on board the Carpathia, a woman, presumably the baby's mother, 
grabbed the baby she was holding and ran off with it without saying a word. Oh, wow. So that's okay. two. No, that's three. Cause that's three. That's tuberculosis three. first ship and then second ship. Can I can I have a can I say a theory about the the baby's mom? That's kind of sad. Yes. It's it's going to be sad. Just a heads up. Okay. So what if the mom like I don't know I I don't want to say it now because it's really sad. <laughs> but I was gonna say like what if the mom like lost her baby on the on the Titanic and like was just needing a kid and so she she took the ones that was that jessup was holding maybe now my heart hurts why did i say that i mean it's entirely possible yeah i mean hopefully she was the the baby's mother that's what we're rooting for that's what we're presumably i mean but who just goes up and grabs a baby i feel mothers like I feel like just mother thing. you have to be a certain hashtag just mother thing. <laughs> just mother things. Run up to people and grab your baby. That's it. <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay. So that was number three. So during the First World War, Jessup served as a stewardess for the British Red Cross. On the morning of the 21st of November, 1916, she was on board the HMHS Britannic, a white star liner that had been converted into a hospital ship when it sank in the Aegean Sea due to an unexplained explosion. During a major diving expedition on the wreck in 2016, it was determined that the ship had struck a deep sea mine. This was shown in the documentary film of that dive entitled The Mystery of the Britannic. The Britannic sank within 55 minutes, killing 30 out of the 1,066 people on board. British authorities hypothesized that the ship was either struck by a torpedo or hit by a mine planted by German forces. Conspiracy theories have even circulated that suggest that the British were responsible for sinking their own ship. Scientists have been unable to reach definitive conclusions as to the true cause. While Britannic was sinking, Jessup and other passengers were nearly killed by the boat's propellers that were sucking lifeboats under the stern. Jessup had to jump out of her lifeboat, resulting in a traumatic head injury. Which she survived. So that's four. Question. <laughs> After the Titanic, hasn't she learned her lesson of boarding ships? Like I don't know. Like, you, you'd think you'd... What did we learn, Miss <laughs> Jessup? I, nothing, did, apparently. What did we learn, Miss Violet? Okay, I need to know. Because nothing. Miss Violet. So, after... After that, she, like, literally was a stewardess for another, like, 24 years. Of course. And, like, never had any other problems. <laughs> and was completely fine until her retirement. I think whatever was trying to kill her was, like... Like, gave up. Yeah, it was, like, we've tried four times, and it's just it's just not working. <laughs> Let her live. <laughs> Let her live. She deserves it. She's worked hard for it. I can't I'm, even... I'm tired of trying. <laughs> So, yeah, that's that's Violet Jessup. She's had a pretty crazy life. Um, pretty adventurous, I would say. Yeah. Pretty traumatic, also. I feel like she's got a one-up on any other stewardess. Oh, yeah. No, she's, she knows those safety drills, I'll tell you that. <laughs> she's had to enforce them three times. She She knows those safety rules. She 
is the first one up doing all of the safety rules. <laughs> she feels a little tremor and she's like, okay, guys, so here's what we do. Just in case this thing's going down. They're like, Violet, Violet, calm down. It's not, no, you don't know. <laughs> you don't know. You I've don't been know. through four of these. I've got you this. You don't know. Oh it could goodness. go down at any moment. You don't know. I mean, no good one for like her for keeping up with something with she loved. I mean, I guess. I think it's, like, I always imagine it's, like, a, about the traveling, you know? Yeah. Like, getting to see all these different countries. Mm-hmm. I think it would be quite cool. Yeah, I mean, that sounds, it sounds very, like, admirable. Or not admirable, but just, like. Admirable? No, that's not the word I was looking for to begin with. I think I was just trying to say, like. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's something that I feel like a lot of people would want to do because of the thought of, like, being able to travel and go to so many different Yeah, but it's, like, probably a lot of hard work and I probably wouldn't want to do it. Yeah. But think of all the cool people you would meet. I wonder how many people she met and was, like, That's genuine. True. Like, the people who also survived, I wonder if she was really close with them afterwards. Oh, yeah, that's true. I wonder if they have, like, a survivors group back in London. <laughs> they sent letters to each other. Hey, remember when we survived? <laughs> stop. How did you get my my address? Please stop sending me letters. Please stop sending me letters. I don't want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> it's very traumatic. I want to go to sleep. Well, Violet sounds like a whole character. And she sounds very determined to live. <laughs> very, very determined to live. Like, she was like, uh, no. Not today. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, thank you. You're going to have to talk to my lawyers if you try to do it one more time. Right? I'm You're going to have to talk to my lawyers. I'm sorry. I'm suing the universe for trying to murder me on multiple occasions. <laughs> She'd win. She would win. Yeah. No doubt. Well, um, Alana, do you know what time it is? It's party time. Oons, 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 oons. No, it's sad boy hours time. Why? 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 Why does it have to be the end of the episode? We can go on forever. Come on. What else do we've got? (laughs) (laughs) What else do we've got? (laughs) Is is there anything left in the document? What's up? (laughs) What else do we've got? No, you're you're absolutely right. It is time to to end the episode, which breaks my little heart. My little my little my little sad heart. Why don't you tell them where the episode can continue all night long on our social media accounts? Oh, okay. (laughs) I was trying to be like a little announcer, DJ, you know? You know what? And I was here for the energy, but it made no sense. (laughs) (laughs) Nonetheless, um, our socials are, you can follow us on Instagram at Lumian Fonts. You can follow us on Twitter at LumiFonts. Um, we also have a really cool email that is open for any suggestions for future episodes or themes. Or if you're just interested in the episode and you've got something cool you want to say, you can talk to us on all three. And our email is LumiFonts at gmail.com. And um, we respond to any feedback or suggestions with a smiley face and a high five. And then also the message because we're not weirdos. Um, that's true. We are not weirdos. We're freaks. 
yes, we are freaks and we have some fun facts. Um, the next episode should be coming out on July 19th. So we will talk to you guys then, I guess. Um, yeah. Thanks for, thanks for listening. We'll, 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 we'll hear you later. <laughs> we'll hear you later. Bye. Bye.